I will need a reader for the scripture at some point. So I will ask for help soon. Cool. So we are going to be talking about Leah and Rachel today. Um, I'm really excited about this story because this is a story that I love. Um, these are two sisters and we get to kind of explore who they are and, and what are they going through when we are in this passage of scripture. So we're going to look at Genesis 29, starting at 31 through 35. So uh, I'm going to give a little background because we're kind of hopping into the middle of a, an intense story. So um, Jacob, who is the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, has run away from home. Um, he tricked his father into giving him his brother's blessing, and he's gone to the east, to Paddan Aram. And that's where Abraham, his grandfather, is from originally. Um, and this is the place where his mother is also from. So her brother lives there, Rebecca's brother, name is Laban. Um, and, and Jacob has gone to find his uncle and to be there with him. So Laban has two daughters, one Rachel and one Leah. Rachel is the younger one. She's described as beautiful, um, has a lovely figure, and Leah is described as the one with the weak eyes. Um, so commenters have different ideas on what it means to have weak eyes. So some have said weak eyes means this person is unattractive. Um, and others believe that weak eyes are a lighter eye, like a lighter eye color, and it's just not as acceptable in this culture. So it's not deemed as beautiful. Um, others have said that, that maybe she's cried a lot and so she has weak eyes. Um, so there's different, different theories out there of what that, that word actually means. But Leah is not viewed as, as beautiful as Rachel. So um, also, Ab sorry, um, Jacob moving to the east is um, an idea or the understanding of the east basically is that these are people that are expelled or moved away from God's presence. So we can kind of infer from that that Jacob's relatives are people who do not worship God. Um, that's a part of why Abraham left is to go be with God. But Jacob's running back there. Um, so Jacob stayed with Laban. He began to work for him. And then Laban asked him, hey, what do you want in exchange for your work? And he said he wanted to work seven years so that he could marry Rachel, the beautiful sister that he loved. Um, so it's in that culture, it's if you want to marry someone, you are supposed to have cattle, gifts, things to bring. But because Jacob ran away from home, he had nothing. Um, so once the seven years up ended, he was thrown a wedding and his uncle tricked him and sw did a bride switch. And Jacob ended up marrying Leah instead of Rachel. So he didn't realize it till the morning. There's a lot of things culturally there where... Um, Jacob just was not able to see his bride. Um, and it was late at night, I'm sure. He was probably drinking wine. And the next morning, it said, there was Leah. So that's, that's a part of uh, his story. So, of course, Jacob was angry. Um, he went and talked to his uncle and was like, you tricked me. Um, and so Laban decided to marry off Rachel the next week. So this man is married to two sisters and re it's referenced in Leviticus 18 that it's prohibited to marry sisters. So th there's just a little extra context of this is not a normal thing to do. Um, so we're kind of starting this story off in the middle of some chaos. We have these two women that have married this man. Um, 
their sisters. It's a very complicated situation. Um, so one of the things I want to highlight is where these women are currently at mentally, emotionally. Rachel knew that there was going to be this switch, right? Like it was supposed to be her wedding day and then it wasn't. So she knew this was happening. Um, so this had to be a sacrifice for her to see that the man that she was loving is going to marry another woman. That's pain. That's hurt. Um, but Leah also probably felt hurt, <laughs> you know, to be rejected, embarrassed. Like she's, there's so many emotions that she's probably feeling and her dad had to trick someone into marrying her. So that is a state of probably feeling just really unloved and rejected. Um, so we're just walking into their lives when they've experienced a lot of hurt from the men in their lives. Um, so we're going to start at Genesis 29, um, verse 31. And can someone read 31 through 35? If you could stand up, project. Yeah, now. <laughs> I'm going to face you guys so you can hear me. 31 to 35? Yes. Okay. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Mm -hmm. So um, in the first verse, in verse 31, where it, where it says that Leah was not loved. You know, in the, in the ESV, it says the word hated. Um, but the Hebrew word is sane, which means disregard, dislike, to love less, to dissociate self from, um, to be distant. So this was Leah's marriage. She was in a marriage where there was disregard, there was dislike. She was clearly loved less. She, he was distant from her. Um, that was her experience being married. And so it says when God saw this, he noticed her, he noticed her pain, and in his sovereignty, he gave her a gift. Um, Leah didn't pray and ask God for this. She, her desire was for her husband's love, but she got a baby. Um, and, and just, again, for some reference, these are women who are in a land where they don't know Abraham's God. They know idols. We'll learn later if you continue to read past what we're going to read today. But Laban had a number of idols in his home. So they were idol worshipers. So this is Leah's first kind of like interaction of, of Jacob's God. Um, so Leah being unloved and, and God gives her these gifts. I think that God was doing something with these gifts that he's given her. So naming in this culture is... Uh, similar to naming in other cultures in the world today, but not in America. I think we, when we name our kids, there's more like, this sounds cute, or maybe that's just my generation, I don't know. But um, naming in this culture was a thing of significance and intentionality. There was meaning, depth, purpose. They're speaking destiny over their children's lives. Like this was an important thing that they're doing. Um, so we can see that Leah, as she names her children, she's doing it from her wound. You know, she names her first one Reuben, and that means 
um, see a son. She said, the Lord has seen my misery and surely my husband will love me now. The second one she named Simeon, which is similar to the word heard um, because she felt like God heard her and this would bring love into her life. Then the third she named Levi, which is similar to the Hebrew word attach. Um, and keep in mind, she this is years, right? Like she's having kids over a, some years. She's the only wife that has given Jacob children. Um, and it is to a woman's glory to have not only children, but sons. So this is her third son. And she was just sure that her husband would be attached to her. Um, but as we probably can just infer, Jacob's treatment didn't change for Leah in this marriage. Because if it had, she would stop praying or desiring for her husband to love her. So she's in the same situation over years. Um, and she thought these children were the way of gaining love. You know, I think the thing that Leah is doing is assuming what God is doing with his gifts. Um, she assumes that God gave her these babies so that her husband would love her and become attached to her. So to assume means to decide meaning without proof. Right? Leah is assuming something about God. Um, her attention is so set on her desire, she couldn't see clearly what God was doing. I think her unclear vision led her to make assumptions about what God was doing. So, and then in her fourth child, she named him Judah, which sounds like the Hebrew word praise. Um, with that child, it seems like something in her attention shifted. Leah had an attention shift. She shifted from her desire to God, who he was. I think Leah realized that God is the one that loved her and would sustain her. Her focus shifted from gaining um, this, this desire for her husband to receiving what God had for her. And through the blessing of babies, God was communicating to Leah. Um, I think this is a beautiful thing. God was using unique ways to communicate to her that she wasn't even aware of until the fourth kid. And so once she grasped this, um, what God was trying to tell her, she was able to, to move forward. And it said that she stopped having kids. Um, I, I think of it as like, Say someone comes to your door, they're knocking at your door. You could notice, oh, somebody's knocking at my door. But if you don't open it, the, the knocking will continue because the purpose of the knock was never answered. And I think that's what's happening here with Leah. God was knocking, trying to communicate to her, but she didn't realize what he was saying. So she, she missed it until the fourth child, she did not answer the door. And I think a lot of us can relate to Leah. You know, none of us... None of our lives have gone exactly as planned. We've, had, we've hit different roadblocks, different shocking things, different hardships. Um, so we've all been in unique situations, some of pain. Um, and I think we all know what it's like to be, to, to be wounded. But what is God trying to communicate to you? Are you someone who decides the meaning of what God does in your life? Or are you listening to what he's actually trying to say to you? Um, Let's turn to, or continue down to Genesis 30. We'll read 1 through 8. And can somebody read that? Also, if you ever can't hear me, just tell me, speak up, you know. <laughs> 1 through 8. Oh, you go. When Rachel saw that she was not marrying Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, 
give me children or I'll die. <laughs> Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, so a lot's going on here. We have Rachel angry at her husband. We have um, a new wife in the picture. Like, there's so many things that are happening. Um, Rachel's envy of her sister affected her relationship with her husband. Um, she was clearly distraught that he, that she was not pregnant, that she blamed it on him. And I think we also get insight of Rachel's view of God. I don't know if she thought that God had... Uh, anything to do with this, but Jacob pointed her back to God. So, um, again, just this was her role in her mind that she was to have children. So it was a shame to be barren. It was a shame to not have children. And Rachel is very frustrated. Um, so once she, once Jacob responded to her, uh, she changed directions. She did her own thing. She's trying to figure out what to do to fix her circumstances. So once Dan is born, Rachel says that God heard her. Um, and she assumes that Jacob's God gave her a child because he listened to her pain. Maybe Rachel was praying. She believed that God listened to her, but maybe not. But Rachel bypassed God in order to get the outcome that she desired. She used her servant so that she could have another child. But we see her intent in the words that are used when she names her children. She has Dan, that means vindicated. God has listened to my plea. She has Naphtali, which means I've had a great struggle with my sister and one. So her assumed purpose for these children is now she's free of shame and now she's winning over Leah. You can hear her heart through the naming of her children. So there's a scripture that I think really reflects what's happening here with Rachel. And it's James 4, 1 through 3. Can somebody read that? Yes. Okay, sorry, I'll be louder. Thank you. Can we go to James 4, 1 through 3? And can somebody read that? You can also read off the screen. <laughs> what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, they come from your desires that battle within you. Yeah, I think this is a very convicting scripture. This scripture is talking about fighting, quarreling, your desires that battle within you. You know, and it says you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, and you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You know, sometimes that's been me in my life, you know, where I'm like, why are all these arguments happening? Why is there so much frustration in this situation? 
And then it says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And sometimes I say, no, I did ask God. But then it goes on and says, when you ask, you don't even receive because you ask with the wrong motives to spend on your own pleasures. And I think this really reflects what Rachel is dealing with. Rachel is fighting with her husband. She's fighting with her sister. There's so much chaos that's happening, you know, and she has this desire that she is set on that is disrupting her life, you know, and there's this interesting word in here. It's, it's covet, covet. Um, this isn't a word that you hear a lot, um, but we're going we're gonna to define it. To covet is a strong desire to obtain and possess something that God does not have for them. You know, I think that um, this passage does a great job of explaining that. We've all experienced this, wanting something so bad that God does not have for us. And it makes it deeply frustrating. There's this inner frustration inside of us. And I think it's a moment of disappointment where we realize our humanity, that we don't have the capabilities of doing things that only God can do. And so I think this gives us insight of, of what Rachel is experiencing. Um, these babies show us her heart. Um, so let's continue to see how Rachel and Leah progress to know God. Let's go back to Genesis. We'll start in, again, chapter 30, verse 14 through 24. Genesis 30, 14 says, During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes, so he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband, so she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons, so she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. So she named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Thanks. Um, And then can someone read Genesis 35, 16 through 19? (laughs) They journeyed from Bethel when they were so some distance from Ephraim. Rachel went into labor and she had parties. When she and when her neighbor was at his heart, the midwife said to her, Do not fear for you have no son. And as her soul was she calls his name but his father called her Benjamin. So Rachel died. And she was buried on the way to Ephraim. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. So we have a, a lot of passage to cover. Um, so right before here, we, because um, we, we skipped down a little bit, but 
There's a passage about Leah marrying her servant, Zilpah, to her husband. So Leah marries Zilpah to her husband, and she did it so that she could bless her husband with more children. Since she stopped having kids, she blessed him with more children. And so there's one child that's named Gad, which means good fortune. There's another child that's named Asher, that's named, that's, the name means happy. And she named him that because she was happy. And she named Gad this because she felt like God had given her such good fortune. You know, Leah was able to assume or learn that God was giving her a blessing. So she saw all of these things as bonus. And I think Leah was able to give sacrificially like this because God's love sustained her. That was enough for her. She was no longer in need or desperate for her husband's love. She was content enough that she was able to give her husband to another woman. You see, her, her desire changed. And the way that Leah married Zilpah was different than the way that Rachel married Bilhah. Leah did it sacrificially, but Rachel did it for herself. Um, I think that uh, Leah's wound had been healed and she had been transformed. Um, so then we, we go into this wild story about this, these mandrakes. We're trading husbands. We're choosing the nights. Like, there's so many things going on. I mean, when my best friend first read Genesis, like when she was first becoming a Christian, she was like, wow, I do not need um, uh, like TV because this is entertaining enough. Um, so mandrakes are a plant that people believed could increase fertility. So that's what they were fighting over. There's this fight. Um, apparently Reuben, I don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to be in the fields to find this plant and see that it was great enough to give his mom. And this is a rare find. Uh, but also let's keep in mind, there's been so many children that have been born by now. And Rachel still has not had a child. So her, her frustration is probably growing over all these years that all these women can have have children with her husband but she can't um so when she sees these mandrakes she fixes her eyes on it she says she wants that and rachel being the favored wife must have the most time with isaac like <laughs> because leah has to negotiate to get time with her husband it was very it's very clear that he was spending more time with one over the other and so they they made this exchange and the verse said that God listened to Leah. It kind of hints at this idea that Leah was praying for, to God for something. And so the irony of this situation is Rachel gets the mandrakes that should allow her to be fertile and have a child, but Leah's the one that actually gets pregnant. <laughs> Rachel's method still has not worked for her. And so I think because her attention was still so set on her desire, her faith was in these mandrakes. Her faith was in her husband. Her faith was in her servant to sustain her, to give her that love. Um, but we'll see, again, just Leah's view of God and her circumstance by the way that she named her children. So we have Issachar, which means reward. We have Zebulun, that means honor. And so God was still using Leah to receive these blessings because her desires were set on him. Her attention was set on him. So after all of these children have been born, Rachel finally gets pregnant. Um, it says that God remembers her, which means that God focused his attention on her. 
He listened to her request and she finally got, she finally got pregnant. So Rachel's children continue to say things about her heart. So we see Joseph, it means may he add. And the phrase that she said was, may God add another onto me. Her heart was not content. Her heart was not grateful. You would think out of, after all of these years of the things she wanted to happen, that when she got it, she would be deeply grateful, but she was not. And then her last child, she was on her deathbed. She named him Ben Oni, which means son of my sorrow. Rachel's was still focused on the, the discontentment. She was still focused on not getting what she wanted. Um, and so God, I think God wanted closeness with Rachel. I think he wanted to transform her by his love. Rachel did not get to live the joyful, full life of gratitude that I think God had for her. I think she missed things that God was trying to communicate to her. But Leah was transformed into a woman of gratitude, of love, of joy, and generosity by setting her attention on God and understanding his role and his purpose in her life. Both of these women started off wounded. You know, one was unloved, one was barren. Both had been through this frustrating, confusing situation but they both ended the race differently simply because of where they focused their attention. You know, Leah experienced God, but Rachel missed out some. And I think some of it was she assumed she knew what God was doing in her circumstances, but she didn't. She missed some of the picture. Um, And so I think what's amazing about Leah is the moment she shifted her attention was a mark in history. You know, God blessed her to allow her to, to have Judah, and that was the, the lineage that Jesus came from. He came from the tribe of Judah. Of Judah. Um, I think God blessed Leah's attention shift by allowing the Messiah to come through that, and she will always be remembered for, for who she was and how she was transformed. You know, I think um, a lot of us are like the, the women in this, both women in these stories. I think we can all find ourselves some similarities. We've all had different frustrations and things that we have not had um, that we did desire. Um, There's been disappointments in our life, like I said earlier. Um, But it depends on how we finish the race. And so I think for us, I'm just wondering, you know, what are the things that we set our attention on? Is it on the desires of our hearts? You know, is it on the frustrating situations and the circumstances that we're in or are is our attention set on God and I think one of the ways that we can tell what our attention is set on is what are the words that we're saying what is the overflow of our hearts you know like are we people that are complaining constantly about the situations we're in are we bitter are we angry are we sad all the time you know I think it's good to take note of the situation that we're in but it's important to give that to God you know, and and allow him to come in. And I don't know what God will always do with our wounds, but I do know that God wants us to be with him so that he can heal us. And so I think there's different ways that God tries to communicate to us in our lives, but we have to be aware of how God is communicating. You know, one of the things for me that I had to learn this past year is that um, I I can be like Rachel. where I make assumptions about what God is doing. You know, there was this situation that's happened to me for the past three years, like the exact same way. 
and I end up really devastated, really sad. And, you know, this past year, when the same thing happened, it was the same wound. And I was trying to figure out, God, what is happening? But one of the things that I learned is that sometimes when when hurtful things happen, I step outside of my relationship with God. I define what he's doing. And then I step back into my relationship with God. You know, so I can look at a situation and say, oh, God wanted me to learn humility. Okay, that's what it was. And I continue. Or God wanted me to, to grow and and um in joy you know and so i just have to persevere in joy yeah i think it's so easy for us to jump to conclusions and not invite god into the things that we're going through um but i think that's what god has for us i think he can transform our lives if we set our attention on him um and so one of the things that happened is there was this one week where god sent three different people to tell me the same thing god sent these people to tell me that he does not favor other people over me. You know, I, this was a wound that I believed the entire eight years of my discipleship is that God had favorites, that God loved other people more than me. And some of that came from, I, I grew up the second child. There's I had three sisters. I don't know if you're a middle child, maybe you understand. But um, so I, I felt ignored my whole life. I felt unseen my whole life. And when I became a disciple, it was the same. You know, I felt like God loves everyone else in, in my ministry more than me. You know, and so I have gone through things that have deepened that lie, deepened that wound. That's not true. And it took so long, but it took eight years for God to bring this out of, hey, you believe that I love others more than you, but that's not true. I love you. And, and it took three different people the same week for me to really grasp what God was saying to me. And so I think it can be um, a challenge. It can be a little dangerous for us to make assumptions about what God is doing in our life. But I think God is trying to communicate to us and we have to set, like, open our eyes to see what he's actually saying. Um, so yeah, I'm sure you guys are all in different situations. I'm sure there's a wound in your life that maybe is persisting. Um, but ask yourself, what is God trying to communicate to you through this wound? You know, and have you made any assumptions about God from that wound? Um, I think there's, there's years of healing that needs to be done. There's lies that we believe that we need to be set free from. Um, but, and those desires, those assumptions can cloud our view of God. Um, but that's not God, what God wants from us. And I think that God can change generations after us if we change our attention and set it to God. Um, so one of the things that I want to read is this, it's this quote. Um, it's by St. Ignatius. But um, it's paraphrased by David Fleming. And it says, We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one. For everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper response to our life in God. Our only desire, our one choice, should be this. I want and choose a better. what better leads to God deepening in me. Man, I, I heard this last summer and it really cut me to the heart. I was not ready for that. I don't want the things that are maybe painful, but bring me to God. But I think God can use any circumstance to draw us to him. But we have to be willing for God to be our desire but and not our will. Um, and so I my prayer is that we can be women that can be transformed in our circumstances. And we can tra- be transformed into stories of beauty, of love, and of joy. Um, Yeah, so that's all.